Tonight in Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be reading from verses 10 to 20. And you can find that on the Pew Bibles on page 1228. So it's Ephesians chapter 6, reading from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let me extend my warm welcome to those of you who are new here visiting us this evening. It's good to see that there are some new faces. And of course, all of you, our church family, our regulars, good to see you as well. Well, tonight we're looking at the last of our series in our, our series on the church, God's purpose and design. And we're looking at this topic, the church God protects. Now, have you heard the story of Jack? Jack, he was coming out of church one day, and the preacher, the minister, like at most churches, he, he stands at the door and he would greet the members as they were leaving the church. And so when Jack was leaving, the preacher grabbed him and pulled him aside and said to him, Jack, you need to join the army of the Lord. And then Jack replied, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. And then the pastor, he then questions, well, how come I hardly see you? How come I only see you ex uh, uh, only perhaps twice a year, Easter and Christmas? And then Jack responded, he whispered into his pastor's ear, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> I got more in the morning, but anyway. Now, whether that was a true story or not, don't you find it interesting that the pastor would speak to one of his members and ask him, are you in the army of the Lord? I mean, how are we meant to understand that? Why would he ask that? 
I thought being a Christian means being a, a person of peace and love and compassion. What's this business about being in the army of the Lord? But you see, that language comes from the Bible. The language of being a soldier. The language of going to war, going to battle. It does come from the Bible. But why? Why do we hear that in Scripture? For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I mean, that is speaking about a battle, speaking about weapons needed in a battle. Why? We even sing about it. This morning we sang a hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. And this evening we sang another hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift up his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. We sing about it, about being soldiers, about being in a battle. Even one of the most well-known denominations, Christian denominations, is called an army. What's that one? The Presbyterian Army. Have you heard of that one? No, it's the other army. What's that? The Salvation Army. We're in the Salvation Army. They're ministers. They're not called reverence. They're, they have military ranks, captains and colonel and general. And so my question for us this evening is, are we at war or are we not? Are we who are Christians? Are we in the army of the Lord or are we not? Because if we are, then we better know what we're up against. But if we're not, then let's just not scare each other into thinking that we need to fight anything at all. And so what is it? What is it? Well, I suspect you know the answer already. The answer is in our title for tonight. The church God protects. You see, the church needs God's protecting because all who are part of the church are in danger. You and I, we are facing danger, but a danger that you and I are not equipped for. And so we need God's protection. We need God's protection. It is the church God protects. And so now we're going to have a look at this passage. Let me encourage you, keep your Bibles open, Ephesians 6, and we will be working through those verses there. Now what we see here is that the Apostle Paul, he was under no illusion to the conflict, to the battle that Christians have and will continue to have. We are, in fact, in a battle, a warfare, where there are squirmishes and wrestling. We are, in fact, in a battle. You see, it's very easy, isn't it, as Christians, just to live a life going with the flow and flowing with the seasons. But the Apostle Paul here is not mucking around about the seriousness of living out the Christian life. There is a spiritual battle that is raging. And it's a battle for our minds. A battle that's happening in our minds all the time. Will I choose to be pure and good and righteous? Or will I believe in lies, in deceits and be deceived? It's also a battle that happens on, on our hearts, on our desires. Will I desire what is holy and good and God-honoring? Or will I allow my heart to be darkened, to be depraved? It's a battle for our worship. Will I, as a Christian, worship only the one true God? Or will I worship created things, imagined things, or just anything? Anything? 
You see, the physical world is not all there is. We're not just merely atoms and carbon and matter. There is a spiritual reality that is unseen. And it is on that level that the spiritual battle is raging. And so we as a church, as the people of Christ, we are in a battle. And that is why the Apostle Paul here, at the end of his letter in Ephesians, he urges us to find strength, to draw strength from God. It's not willpower that will save us. It's not our own willpower that will protect us. We are to draw strength from God. And so look at verse 10. Finally, be strong or be strengthened. It's passive. Be strengthened in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so just like any soldier, a good soldier, you need to be strong, you need to have strength, but you also need protection. Now, if you're in the Australian Army, you'll be kitted up with the soldier's combat ensemble, which means you get the modular body, body armour system, you get the assault packs, you get your combat helmet, you get your night vision goggles and the works, whatever you need for your protection. But the battle that we're in as Christians, it is spiritual. And so we need a different type of protection. And what's that? Well, verse 11. We are to put on the full armour of God. We're in a battle. But whom are we battling against? Who is, the, who is the enemy? Well, if the enemy were, were just people, then having rifles and bazookas and tanks and attack helicopters, that's what you'll need to fight against people. But the real enemy that we're up against, and all of us we're up against, may come as a shock to many of us. Because our enemy are not people, not flesh and blood and bones, but our enemy, as we read here, is the devil himself. The demonic forces of Satan and his angels, as he attacks, as he lies, as he tempts, as he seduces, as he besieges. Now listening to this, I suspect some of us here tonight might be thinking, now this is crazy stuff. You mean the devil is real? Really? The devil is real? There's such a thing? Well, what I found fascinating reflecting on this is that the vast majority of the world already believes and knows that there are evil spirits. The vast majority of the world believes that. Where in the world do people not believe in evil spirits? It's only in, really, the Western materialistic world where people believe the devil does not exist. Which, if you think about it, it's the best way for the devil to work because people do not know that he's around. And so he can scheme, he can deceive, he can cunningly work like a fox. And so you see, the fight of all Christians, all of us, you and me, it is ultimately against Satan. And if you think about that, there's no way we stand a chance. How can you fight against Satan? How can I fight against Satan? We don't stand a chance. And that is why we need here the armour of God. And so look at verse 11 again. We put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, our enemies are demonic and he is cunning like a fox. Now how might, might that look? How does the 
devil's scheme? How does he work? Well, he works by getting a foothold when we get angry. Now, you know, when that happens, something happens, someone does something, says something, and you get angry. Your heart is boiling. Your, your, your head is hot red. And then you get tempted. Seeds of thoughts in your mind and on your heart. Well, you better get him back. You better get him back. You better make him pay for it. You better take out revenge. You better make him hurt more than you did. You see, they are the seeds of thoughts. The heart, what happens? It just gets darker and darker. Well, how else does the, the demonic forces work cunningly? By lies. By lies. Now, no one's around. You can do what you like. The door is closed. No one's watching what's on your screen. No one sees anything. No one's getting hurt here anyway. It's okay. Just go for it. These lies. He works cunningly. Or it might be by seductive words. You know, at home, your, your, your wife, she shows no appreciation for you at all. You work so hard. You, you're the breadwinner. You bring in the, the bread. The, you pay for everything. But your wife shows no appreciation for you at all. But you see, at work, there's that lady, that's the secretary, she appreciates you. She praises you. She sees how hard you work for the family and how hard you work for the company. And you enjoy spending time with her. Well, why don't you spend some more time with her? Why don't you take her out to lunch? Why don't you show love? You're meant to love anyway, aren't you, as a Christian? Why don't you show love where love is appreciated? You see, it's a cunning scheming. The seeds of thoughts on our minds and on our hearts. He works subtly. It's not like the devil appears in front of us with horns and pitchforks, whatever he might look like, and he brings before us. He's a lump of greed. He's a lump of adultery. He's a lump of lust. Embrace it all. What would he do if the devil did that? He said, no way. Get out of here. I'm not going to touch that thing. But he is cunning. He schemes. He works subtly. And here he, we read he schemes and he battles, even in the heavenly places, against God himself. Look at verse 12 now. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? It means that his powers are vast and comprehensive. And so when people deny the existence of the devil, well, that is to underestimate him and to underestimate his powers. To think that he cannot tempt us or seduce us or influence us or lie to us, well, that is also to underestimate him. And that's what the Apostle Paul is warning us of here. But of course, this does not mean that we need to live a life as Christians where we're so crippled and paralyzed by fear. Not at all. We are not to underestimate him, nor are we to overestimate him. For, you see, the forces of evil, the forces of evil, though he's still raging, though the skirmishes are still happening, he has already been defeated. When? By Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on the cross. 
When Jesus died, he broke the power of sin and of evil and of death and of Satan. It's not like this battle that we're in depends on us at all. It doesn't. The war has already been won by Jesus. The war has already been won. The battle still goes on and he still rages against the disciples of Jesus, but the war has already been won. It's a bit like what happened with the Second World War. Now, do you remember when the Second World War ended? It was 1945. But to one Japanese soldier, Haru Onoda, the war didn't end for him until 1974. That's 29 years after the end of the war. So even though the, the Japanese, they were defeated, they surrendered. Lieutenant Onoda, he went on fighting in the jungles of the Philippines. He didn't believe that the Japanese would lose or be defeated, so he kept on fighting. But the war was already lost. The Allies already won. And so you see, that's what's happening in the spiritual realm. The devil, knowing that he's lost, rather than conceding defeat or surrendering, knowing that he cannot win, he's venting his anger and rage. He's venting and against whom? Who is he venting his anger against? He will not have, there will be no ceasefire until Christ returns. Squirmishes will still happen. He will still wrestle and battle and fight. But against whom is he raging? Of course, he's raging against everyone. His influence is everywhere in this world, but it is more fierce against the church, against you, and against me. For we are the people who have already been snatched away from his dominion, from his grasp. We now belong to God, and he wants us back. He wants, us, wants to tear us down and rip us apart. And if you think about that, that's what we've seen in the history of the church. We've seen his destruction upon the church, his destructive powers and its impact. Just think about it in the past and even today. How many churches have succumbed to the influences of culture and society, where churches even approve and affirm Things like same-sex marriage. How could you do that? Churches where there are big investments, they would invest in short investments like even gambling. Churches where greed and consumerism is allowed to go rife. I mean, where you look at the church and you look at the world, you see no difference. Is that not the impact and influence of the evil one? Or how many churches do you know of now or even in the past started off as schisms? Christians just couldn't get along. And so the church was divided, as opposed to a church being planted with genuine gospel intentions. Is that not the work of the evil one? Or how many churches see little or no growth because ungodliness and malice and gossip is allowed to run rife in the church? Is that not the devil's work? tearing down, ripping apart. It's no wonder why. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he, he once, once said this. He said, I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. 
You see, we can't just live life going with the flow and flowing with the seasons. We are in a battle. And it is against the devil. But this is the church God protects. And so be armed and ready with the armour of God. You see, the devil, he's beyond our league. He's powerful. We can't face him alone. We need God. And so look at verse 13. Paul says, Put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, do you notice what that is saying there? It's not telling us to advance, to take up more ground. For the war has already been won. The war is done. It has been won. And so it's strange when Christians, for example, go on prayer walks thinking that they are winning back territory for God. That is strange. In fact, that's wrong. Because the war has already been won. What are we called to do? We're called to stand our ground, to stand firm because the war has been won, to not give any more ground to the devil, to not allow him to get a foothold. And so how does God protect his church? Well, we read out a list of, of armour pieces, six. And if you look at these armour, it, it doesn't look like they'll do much in modern warfare. I mean, today, if you have a, a dozen soldiers with machine guns, you can take down a thousand Roman soldiers wearing that armour. It won't do much today. But you see, the armour that we read of here is the armour that God himself wears. It is laden with Old Testament imagery here. You see, in the Old Testament, it is God or his Messiah who is often portrayed as the warrior. And so the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. That is God's own armour. And so we are to put on that armour, God's armour. And so first we read here the belt of truth, verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Which means Christians, we're meant to be champions of the truth. That is, truth about God about the world, about ourselves, about the gospel, doctrinal truth. We are to be champions of that truth. But I think here it extends to personal truth. That is, I'm a person of truth, of honesty, of integrity. And truth, you see, protects us from the lies of the devil. And so he might, he might say, you know what, your God, you love him, you serve him, you pray to him, but he's not really that good, is he? He's not loving. They are lies with the belt of truth. I will not believe that. Or the devil might say, the gospel is not really enough, is it? You can't really just be saved just by believing. You have to work hard for this. You need to add something to it. Well, they are lies. They are lies. Or the devil might try to convince us by saying, you can live a life to the full without God. Just pursue all that the world pursues. Well, that is a lie. And so we are to fasten the belt of truth. Second, we read here the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, it protects us from, from blows and arrows. 
Now, firstly, I think this is speaking about righteousness in a sense of having a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is my breastplate. And so Satan might accuse, you're not really protected by your God, are you? You can't really be certain of your future destiny, can you? But you see, if I have the breastplate of righteousness, I know God is my father. I am his child. I am safe. But you see here also, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness can also be speaking about the righteous life that we as Christians have been called to, to be like God our Father, to be holy and righteous and good in all my conduct, character and speech, so that if there are any accusations any slanderous attacks, any mud that is thrown, it just won't stick because I am protected by the breastplate of righteousness. Now third, we read here the sandals of peace. Verse 15, have a look. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so to put on the sandals means we are to be ready to declare this message of peace that you... This world can have peace with God Almighty. Though you were once dead in your sins, you can have a relationship with him to be ready to declare that wonderful gospel message. And in doing so, what are we doing? Well, in doing so, we are frustrating the evil schemes of the devil as people are rescued from his dominion and are brought into the kingdom of Christ. Be ready with the sandals of peace. Fourth, we read here the shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now what we need to keep in mind here is that when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to the church, to the people, the group of Christians, not merely to individuals. And in a sense that shows us how shields work best. Not just me holding a shield for myself, but the church like a united front, all holding up their shield, like a united front protecting the church and all behind it. So that when the devil fires arrows of doubts about our salvation, doubts about the goodness of God, doubts about our future home in heaven, doubts that I'm so sinful beyond forgiving, doubts that God does not care, that's why you're suffering, what do I do? What do we do? We hold up the shield of faith and those fiery darts will be extinguished. Fifth, the helmet of salvation. Because it is God's saving power that defends us against any hints of doubts in the assurance of our salvation. The devil can never ever snatch me away from God's hold of me. And finally here, the sword of the Spirit, verse 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now amongst all the equipment we're given in the arm of God, this is the only one that can be used for attack as well as defense. The word for sword here is not those big, long, huge swords held by gladiators in those movies, those big, massive ones. But instead the word for sword here is a, a short, sharp one. Now, if it's a short, sharp one, that's all you have, what does that tell you about the type of battle you're in? Well, it means that we're in a battle that is up close and personal, even with the evil one. 
And so what then is the sword of the Spirit? We know that it is the Word of God. So what does that mean? Do we hold out our big black Bibles and when Satan comes, we try to whack him into thin air? Is that what we are to do? Of course not. What it means is it is the message of the Word of God. The Word of God was how Jesus defended himself. Remember in the story when he was tempted in the desert by Satan, tempted with pride, with glory. You can get all this, just bow down to me. And how did, did Jesus attack him? With the Word of God. And what did he say? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what this means then is, if we as Christians are to be fortified in this battle, then we need to be fortified with the word of God. We read it, we understand it, we meditate on it, we pray through it, we believe it, we proclaim it, we teach it, we apply it, we use it. We be fortified with the word of God and that is our weapon. The sword of the spirit. And it is a powerful weapon. And that is the armour of God. Now finally, the last point. All is useless if we forget to pray, to depend on God. For we must always remember our limitations. We are weak and frail, and so we must always depend on God in prayer. And so verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see, Satan, one of the most frightening things for him is when Christians pray. Satan will try to limit our praying because our praying will limit him. And so we are in a battle, like it or not. You're a Christian, you're in a battle. And who is it against? It is against the devil. And so what must we do as the church, as those who call ourselves Christians? Well, if we are to stand firm together, then we are to be armed and ready by donning on not our willpower, not our clothes for the day, but donning on the full armour of God, which means as Christians we must always be vigilant, never being complacent, never letting down our guard. You see, every second during the day, the devil can be firing arrows at us. Every second can happen even now while you're sitting there. Something might be shot to your mind or your heart. Even now, he sees a crack, he's on his attack to deceive and to tempt and to seduce. And, and when we're weak and tired, that's when it's easiest. You see, for all of us, it's, it's a call for all of us to always be vigilant, never letting down our guard, young, old, middle-aged, all of us. When it's easy to lie at school, at university, in our workplace, when it's just easier, more convenient. Do I speak the truth always, or do I give in and lie? When we're pressured to compromise on our faith, to shy away from what we stand, should be calling forth and believing and proclaiming, when it's easy to compromise on our faith, what do we do? Do we shy away? 
or do we stand firm, even like Israel Folau? Four million dollars it cost him. When there are fiery darts of doubt and fears, do we allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds? Do we even allow it to cause us to consider, let's throw in the faith? You see, for you and me, for us to remain firm as Christians, grounded in the gospel, to be people of honesty and integrity and holiness and righteousness, even when it costs, the, the teenagers here in our schools where your faith is ridiculed and mocked, those in the business world where the workplace is just cut throat and your integrity and honesty is challenged, and for the rest of us in our godless world where the battle will remain intense, what do we need? We need the arm of God to stand firm. It was the Puritan minister, William Gurnall, in the 1600s, he said this, In heaven we shall appear not in armour, but in robes of glory. But he, they, the arm of God, are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. All the time, if there's a crack, the arrows are shot. If there's a way in, the devil will have his foothold and then he went on to say this the saints sleeping time is Satan's tempting time but of course our topic for tonight is this is the church God protects we need not be paralyzed by fear because we have a commanding officer we have a commanding officer who has already gone ahead before us we have a victorious general who has already marched out ahead before us, a saviour, a King Jesus Christ, who even gave his life so that the war against evil, against death and against Satan is won already for us. And so what do we do now? As those in his army, as soldiers, Christian soldiers, well, we put on the arm of God, just like that hymn we sang. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, the next, the victor's song. To those who vanquish evil, a crown of life shall be. They with the King of glory shall reign eternally. And so what do we do as Christians? We stand up for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, as we reflect on our life and on this passage, we can see how easy it is to forget the, the dangers of the battle that we are in and how easy it is to forget to put on the arm of God. And so we pray that you'll protect us from all the schemings of the evil one and that as a church we will stand firm for truth and righteousness and goodness and to stand firm for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. We've got a brief Q&A now. John, I've got two quick, really straightforward, really easy questions for you uh, to consider. And the first one is this. Is the devil omnipresent? If not, will he influence me 
How could he affect all Christians at the same time if he is not? Hmm. Well, he's certainly not omnipresent in the sense that God is omnipresent. The devil is a spiritual being. Um, and in fact, what we see in scripture is that it's not just the one devil, but uh, uh, an army of demons who have rebelled and re continue to rebel against God. So I wouldn't say that he's omnipresent, okay. but because there are many of them and he has powers over this world as we read in in the gospels of john jesus calls him the prince of this world so somehow he's able to exercise his powers over a lot of people not necessarily meaning that he's omnipresent so there are many of them and he has powers that are given somehow and he uses that against us powerful not omnipresent question two why does god let the devil still have a stronghold in the world and uh, so this person says, I know for many people a block to accepting Jesus is the problem of suffering, suffering in the world. Why can't God just end this spiritual war right now? Hmm. Uh, there are many answers to that. There's two questions there, but there are many answers to it. The first one, why does God let the devil still have a stronghold in this world? Well, this is the period we just live in. Uh, the scholars call this the period of the now but not yet, the the war has been won, the skirmishes are still happening, but we await the return of our, uh, our Lord and Saviour when all will be completely done with. Well, the reality is that that's just the way it is. We live in this time now. Can God end it now? Of course he can, but what we hear uh, God say in the book of Peter is that God is patient, wanting more to be saved. And so somehow, God in his providence, he will not return until the full number of those whom he has elected will come in to his fold. Um, the problem of suffering, that's, that's not only related to evil and Satan. God may have all sorts of different reasons for why suffering happens. It's not just because of evil, but it is part of living in this broken world. There is suffering that, though it is connected to being in this fallen world, but yet it is good for us, the testing of our faith, the refining of our faith. But if you want to ask more, there's a lot of questions there. Come and see me afterwards. Thanks, Bryce. Some great questions. Um, do see 